Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your mercies and your grace. It is so sufficient for everything that we need. Thank you for opening up our hearts and minds that we can know you, know you in a very personal, intimate way, and that's what you desire. And Lord, that's our desire today to to hear from you, not from me, but from you. We ask, Lord, that you speak through your word to to our hearts, to our minds, to us individually and, and congregationally as well. God, we pray for our community that you would just move in our community, open up the hearts of so many that are lost in this community. Pour your love into our hearts more and more, Lord, that we would grieve over those things that you grieve. And, Lord, we know that you grieve over the lost. Lord, that we would grieve in such a way that we would move and we would respond and we would reach out to those that you bring into our lives, those that you direct us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open with me to, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. It's a small text, um, yet it's a powerful text. We'll have two weeks in, um, in, in to finish up that book. And now I've titled this message, The Exhortation to Stand Firm. See, and that's really Paul's message, but... Really, if you stop and think about it, if we're God's vessels, he speaks through us. He speaks through every one of us here, whether it be an action or word. It could be that you give a, a, a certain exhortation, a scripture that comes to mind that you give to someone. We don't have to go, thus says the Lord. We just kind of share the scripture that seems to be applicable in that situation. Well, let's read our text. It's there in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. It was for this he called you through the gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions in which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter from us. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the the God of our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Now, leading up to this passage, you remember we had looked at that day of the Lord. Now, I'm not looking for an answer, but if I were to ask you the question, what is the day of the Lord? I think it's something that each of us need to know and need to understand. We're to recognize the, the times and the seasons that we're in. Most people recognize there's something about to happen. In fact, something has to happen. It can't continue to go in the way that it's going. Even at the time of Jesus' birth, the whole world knew something was about to happen. 
the heathen or those that would be called the Gentiles were expecting the Messiah to come because they knew about what the Jewish people believed. And that's really important because if we really believe in Jesus Christ, then we should know his word and what his word says and what the word says about the day of the Lord because there are many people on TV saying things that are not necessarily biblical. Oh, there's some truth, but there's some poison here and there. Does anyone want to drink poison here today? I have some in the kitchen. Anyone? Just hold your hand up. Because that's what happens when you listen to false doctrine. In 1 John, it talks about, uh, again, you don't, you don't need a teacher. You have anointing. You don't need a teacher, someone to teach you. But in the context of that passage, it's talking about, again, please understand, false teachers. And there are many. And they're even called Antichrist. Well, the day of the Lord applies, again, just giving you the background, and then we'll jump into our text. The day of the Lord applies to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But I like this, not to the church. To the Jew, to the Gentile, but not to the church. In fact, it is a day of wrath, and the church The scripture is very clear, and we've saw that the church is not destined to wrath. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, some people call us escapists. We don't like trials where there's no pain, no suffering, but more than that is to be with the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who gave his life for you and me. Be with the one who laid that life down for you and me. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says this, For God has not destined us to wrath, but obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, speaking in this sense, eternal salvation, not just physical salvation, but salvation, being saved from that wrath that's going to come, but being saved from ourselves because every one of us here have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and each one of us will sin each and every day. There's not one sinless person here. God is saving us from ourselves. So what is the purpose of the tribulation we saw? Well, number one is to wake up the true nation of Israel. He's going to wake them up. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's spoken of, we saw in Daniel chapter 9. It's a time that God's going to deal with them. It's that final week, a week of years, seven years long. That is the three and a half years that is what's called the Great Tribulation that primarily focuses upon Israel. Again, it's fulfilling every promise that God gave to Abraham. It will fulfill the land covenant. It would be the first time that Israel had all the land that God had promised to them. Their descendants would be numerous. It will go all the way through what's called the millennial kingdom where the lion lays with the lamb. Oh, by the way, you and I will be there ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. I don't understand that completely, but that's what the Bible says. So it will be a period of time of judgment. 
wrath being poured about on a Christ-rejecting world. Shaken up, well, that's what it's going to do for the heathen. It's the last chance for the heathen. Heathen referring to those that are unbelievers. They have rejected Christ. God's patient and he's long-suffering and wishing that none would perish but all come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me stop and ask you a question. Is there somebody in this world that you know that's not saved that really irritates the heck out of you? I mean, I think we all have someone like that around us, but God wants to save them. God may even want to use you in that life of that person to reveal the truth of who he is, his nature, his character. So God is going to shake him up then, but right now you and I have a purpose. That is to bring the good news, the gospel, to the unbelievers in this world. And that's what, again, he's going to deal with. First the Jew, then the Gentile, during this day of the Lord. But again, not the church. The Antichrist will not be able to be raised to power until the church is taken out of the way. Now, sadly, we talked about many are looking for the Antichrist. I pray that you're looking for Jesus Christ. He's often referred to the upper taker because he's going to take us up to be with him or we'll be with him forever. In fact, in John 14, he says, I go and prepare a place for you. If it's not so, I wouldn't have told you but he's coming back. And that there should be a purifying thought that he could come for you at any time. Most certainly, this is probably one of the best times to come is when you're sitting here listening to his word and praising him. As the scripture says, you would not expect. What would be that hour? What would you be doing? Are you living for Christ? The Scripture is very clear that anyone want to follow me. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him daily. But that's not something that we have managed. I don't know anyone that's managed to do that 24-7. But if he saved you, you'll be kept by his power. Now, the Antichrist, again, as I mentioned, cannot come to power until Christ is is taking his church away. Now, think about this. What a, what a contrast that we've been seeing, a contrast between the church and the followers. We're being saved because we're believing the truth. They're damned because they believe the lie. What is the lie? The lie is that you don't need God, that you are a God. And the fact is, everyone needs God. Apart from him, there is no eternal life. Well, we believe the good news. The good news is about Jesus Christ, what he has done for you and for me. These are simple truths. I'm sure you know. These are simple truths that we can explain to anyone. That's what we're called to do is to bring that good news, that gospel message. Dave last week talked about that, bringing that gospel message. We believe that good news. What is good news? We know, apart from God, we would end up in hell. We know that if salvation depended upon you saving yourself, 
you're going to hell. But it's the work of cross, what Jesus has done for you and me. We've been chosen for glory. But they've been destined for hell. This day of the Lord, what is, is so special is why it's a, a, a time of wrath we saw. And this is important to understand. Don't get caught up in the sensationalism and all the incredible things. Understand that they're symbolic. God wants us to know how horrible it's going to be. But God also wants us to know that he is a loving God and desires to reach out to the nation of Israel and fulfill every promise. He's not done with them. And that should be encouragement to you and me because he's not done with you and me. And just as he reaches out to the Jews, he will reach out to the Gentiles. And it is the last opportunity. If they had not missed the rapture, Paul offered a, a additional encouragement in this text. See, they were discouraged, thinking that they were in the day of the Lord, and, and he brought that balance to them to understand. And now he encourages them. Anyone need encouragement here today? Every one of us need encouragement. And there are some things that we're going to see in this text that stand out, that apply not only to them, but apply to you and me. And the first one is that they were chosen. They were beloved by God, and they were assured of their salvation, and they needed, because of that, to stand firm in their faith. Don't waver. Don't toss and turn. Don't bounce over here. Don't bounce over there. Don't take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Just hang on to the Word of God. Hang on to the good news. Don't hang on to the words of men because it's the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. That will work in you, change you, and transform you because that's what the Holy Spirit takes and uses in your life to prepare you for what's to come. He had a great love for them, but he obviously agreed with Luke's assessment that they were unlike the Bereans, if you remember. In fact, look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. See, the Thessalonians were changed and transformed. And, and, but those in Berea, they looked to see if it was so. They had their, their word open. They were studying it. They were looking in the Old Testament. They wanted to know this is true. They were zealous for the word. They weren't zealous without knowledge. No, they were zealous with knowledge, the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And, and that's my prayer that each one here would be passionate and fervent and zealous for Jesus. But with the knowledge of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's going to do, and what he'd have you do in me, because there is a purpose, a plan. Well, look with me in verse 13. We see the exhortation. It begins to steadfastness. But we should always, he begins with this thought, to give thanks to God for you. Now, that's important to understand that he recognizes what God had done and that 
Give thanks for them. And you know that's so important that we should give thanks for others when we see them serving the Lord, when we see them turning from darkness to light and just thank God for allowing these people to be in our life, to be an encouragement to us. We should thank God about all things. Praise God about all things. How many like reading the book of Job? Job is a great book. You know why? Because we see everything ripped out of his hands, but he determined that he was going to praise and worship God no matter what. Is that true of you? But that's where God wants to bring you and me to that place no matter what's going on in our lives, that we're worshiping him, we're praising him. James, in a little lighter story, you know that he says in, in James chapter 1, consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have that perfect work. If anyone lack wisdom, let him ask. God give generously. But realize that whatever God is allowing in your life, He wants to use it to shape you, mold you, to make you what? More like Christ. That's His desire. But like Christ, who is tender, loving, merciful, compassionate in every way. Well, Jesus did the miraculous, and I believe miracles are possible today. As Jesus laid hands and healed people, I believe in the same way he wants us to lay hands upon people. Sometimes it may bring a physical healing. Sometimes it may just bring a healing to their soul. The touch is so important. There's an old song. Eleanor Rigby, maybe you remember all the lonely people. That's our mission field. There's a lot of lonely people. There's a lot of hurting people. And sometimes it's just a touch. Sit down. Listen. Love them care for them. I don't think there's any greater joy than knowing that your life can impact and change the destiny of someone else as you live for Christ and your life points them to Christ and the words that you bring of the good news is to point them to Christ and then God allows you to see that person grow in Him. I know in my life there are people that have impacted me I'm here because of their words, their encouragement. Characteristics of those who are saved is what we're going to look at. Brethren, beloved of God. Stop and think about that. You are beloved by God. You're the apple of his eye. How can that be? I don't know. But God is so focused upon each and every one of us. And you were chosen from the beginning for salvation. That you are loved by God. There's a lot of people, like I mentioned, where do all the lonely people come from? 
But the kind of love is just that someone really cares. God cared so much that he sent his only begotten son. And whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's how you and I are to live this life, that we are to give up our lives for someone else. That word that of God's love is used for a husband, a wife, how they are to love each other, or a husband is to love his wife in the same way that Christ loved that church, a, a sacrificial love. God sacrificially gave himself. That love focuses upon, again, the Old Testament. It's not a, really a, a new thing. In fact, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and 39, notice what it says. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. Now, let me stop there. Anyone managed to do that yet? Can you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength? It's, it's, it's said several different ways. Can you manage that? And I'm going to say, yes, you can. When you begin to make this your prayer, God, I want to love you as you love me. God, I want you to teach me to love as you love. Now, I don't know how many people, I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand, have actually prayed that. And yet God's love is upon you. It's never changed. His love is constant. It's consistent. So we recognize that weakness, we come to him, we, we seek him and say, God, help me love as you love me. Teach me what it means to love with this sacrificial, unconditional love. That's the love that he wants to do. That we never look down at one another, but we look up to one another, no matter what they're going through. It continues, and this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbors or yourself. Fact is, we do love ourselves. Can we be honest? Don't we love ourselves too much? We really like our comfort more than spending time with God or living for him in other things. This is how he saves us from ourselves, stripping these things away, that it's no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for Christ. That's how Paul spoke. He says, no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in him. Paul had one life that was to live for Christ. You look back at Hudson Taylor and George Mueller and others that have gone before us, men of faith. Uh, they weren't so hot, but what they recognized is they needed God. And they cried out to God, and they learned to wait upon God, and God began to change them from the inside out. That's what he wants from you and me today. Notice again in verse 13, but... God has chosen you from the beginning of salvation. Chosen by God in Christ. Every believer, please understand that, is in Christ. God the Father sees you in Christ. Your position is safe and secure in Christ. It's not by your own merit. It's not by your effort. It's not by your words. But the fact is that your life is placed in him, safe and secure, unlike anything else in this world. And it was done before the foundation of the world. 
God knew you before that foundation of the world. He knew you even before you were in your mother's womb. God had a plan, a purpose for you that was so unique. In God's electing grace, this is what we're talking about, is, is, is so unique. We don't fully understand it. We just accept the fact that God has chosen us. Now, does that mean others are not chosen? And we're going to talk about this in a second. The, up here, I'm looking at a little sign up here. It says, exit. Whosoever will that goes through that door, and when you get through that door, you look on the other side of the door, it says chosen before the foundation of the world. Well, Revelation, again, 13, verse 8 says this, all who dwell upon the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the book or the foundation of the world in this book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So there is a book, a book of life. Every believer, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know my name is written in there. Do you know? Do you know? I mean, that should be excitement. This book was written that you might know you have eternal life and that eternal life is in his son, Jesus Christ. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. Man, our hands should go up. Yes, I know. I know I'm going to be the king. That should be so encouraging, so refreshing. God has chosen me. Doesn't make me any better than anyone else. But I, my name is written in that book of life. And he's encouraging them because they were discouraged. They thought they were in the day, Lord. They, they, they were worried about their family and friends that we talked about and taught about the rapture, the day of the Lord, and who would go through and who wouldn't go through and now they understand those things, but man, they need encouragement, just as you and I need encouragement. See, we believe the Scripture clearly teaches that God, in His sovereignty, has chosen men to belong to Christ. That's the life that He's chose, that we would be like Him. Now, we do not believe that God has ever um, chosen anyone to be damned. The Scripture never says that. He's chosen some. Some will have different views. Some He's chosen some just to be the church, and we're the light unto this dark world. We're, we're to go out and evangelize. He's to use that, and that's a, a position in that church. But we're to go out. I like what D.L. Moody once said, God, Savior elect, not understanding everything, but elect some more because he wanted to see people come into the kingdom. That's the heart of God. God wants to see people come into the kingdom, to come into that intimate relationship with him. See, unbelievers are really doomed because they're unbelief. Unbelief to eternal destruction when we think about it. Whereas believers are chosen for salvation. And just as we believe God's electing grace, we also believe in man's responsibility. That means you have a responsibility. God calls you. He reveals himself. He gives you the good news. You need to make that decision. Will you follow him? Now, please understand, it's not a one-time affair. Well, I choose to believe in you, and then you just live the life you want to live. That is not what he's talking about responsibility is now you, that you've given your life over, that you live for Him. God 
though, in his sovereignty, doesn't save men against their will. He will never save a person who doesn't want to be saved. You know, there's some people I know, they would never be happy in heaven because they're only happy when they're miserable. No, I, I'm serious. You probably know people. They, they're always miserable. They're going from one drama to another drama. And when things are going good, they're the ones that spoil the party. Their party is being miserable. Just sitting around grumbling and complaining together. When you're in Christ, you have so much to be thankful for. And we need to thank Him. The same Bible that says uh, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, also says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This week, I know there's some within the church have had opportunities to share the the faith with others. They believe these words that God wants them to share the faith. They also believe that, that anyone can come into that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No one in this world is beyond that grace until they come to a point of no return. There is a point of no return where they say, I will not believe. I don't want to believe. At that point, God hardens their heart. They never can believe. He's almighty. There isn't anything that in one sense that he cannot do. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. He's not in this board. He's not in a tree like tree huggers think. But God is spirit. He is God over all. He's blessed forevermore. He's sovereign Lord over the whole universe. He's eternal. He's everlasting. He's uncreated. He's self-existent. Man, stop and think. This God is an is incredibly big God, though it, it's impossible for him ever to be mistaken, deceived, even thwarted. It, it's impossible because he's all-knowing. He knows all things. Now, it's interesting when we begin to think about it. He knows everything there is to know, including the names of those who during the process of time, will accept Christ as Savior in all dispensations and under all conditions. That means even those that are going through persecution in some of the Middle Eastern countries, they, they get saved one moment, and the next moment their head is taken off. But they believe so much they're willing to, to give their life for. And yet here, we, when somebody laughs at a bumper sticker, we think we're martyrs. We're not martyrs. We don't understand. And the question becomes, do we really know God? How God even views us? I like what C.S. Lewis reminds us of, and actually I printed it out. Dustin, it's on your corner. Don't hand it out now. There's a sheet of papers. It's powerful, and 
I think you would want to get it, take it home, and ponder it, because I know I'm not the best reader, but it is powerful. Notice what C.S. Lewis reminds us of. is The omnipotence of God does not mean that God cannot do what fundamentally is impossible. We can attribute miracles to God, he says, but not nonsense. There's a lot of things that people are faking in miracles, and it's nonsense. God cannot give a creature a will of its own, at the same time withhold free will from that creature. God cannot do two mutually exclusive things at the same time. We, we can't have both ways or have our cake and eat it too, in a sense. Either God has created other wills in the universe, universe or he hasn't. If he has, he can certainly control them with, without violating them. See, you have a free will. You will choose today to follow him or tomorrow to follow him or not follow him. You'll choose to sin or not sin. The choice is you. You can't blame it on a dysfunctional family. You can't blame it on the world conditions. It's a choice. You choose to let God live in you or not live in you or live through you. It's a choice. It requires something. It's what we call free will. He gives example. For instance, a, a novice plays a game of chess with a chess master. The pieces are put out on the board. Each has a measure of sovereignty over that board within the rules of the game. Each has the power of choice. And a dozen moves, and the chess master announces the game is over. Not once did he violate the opponent's power of choice. However, his mastery of the game, his sovereignty over the board, was such that he could overrule the other's moves. Thus, God allows us to make our choices in life, but he overrules them, and all other wills can function properly only when they work together with the will of God. When they're set up in opposition to God's will, they create confusion. God is quite able to take all of those factors into account, ensure that in the end, all ministers to his glory, to his eternal purpose, nor does he ever violate others' will. He'll never violate your will. You'll choose to live for him or choose to live for yourself. God will not violate human will. But by the same token, neither will he allow Satan to violate it. Satan can tempt, but he cannot compel. He can persuade, but he cannot push. He can entice, but he cannot force. He could persuade Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, but he could not push it down her throat. This is equally true in salvation. The human will is active in the decision to accept or reject God's magnificent offer of salvation. The Holy Spirit never forces us. He convicts us but does not compel. He has thousands of ways to speak and enlighten and strive, but he never makes a decision for us. He woos but does not ravish. In the end, the decision is ours. We can say I will or I won't will to the gospel call. 
He can, and he does quicken, but he can be and sometimes is quenched. In the end, God endorses the decisions we make. He does not send people to hell. They send themselves. A person says, I do not accept Christ. And God finally says, your will be done. Live forever without him. Really a choice. Will you live for him? with him or without him. The Bible warns us, do not be deceived. Look at verse 13, through sanctification by the Spirit. Well, the word simply means to be set apart or to be separate. It actually means a vessel that is set apart for a distinct purpose. A common vessel now qualified to use for something special. A common in fact, all of us, the Bible likens us to a bunch of crackpots. But filled with His Spirit, filled with His glory, illuminating the truth of who He is. It's not dependent upon works, but it's dependent upon grace that we receive. Sanctification really is a life in the Spirit. You are being sanctified. You're set apart for God, but you're also being made holy is what it's teaching. The sanctified person bears the, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Now, remember, the fruit of the Spirit is singular love. And all the things that follow are descriptions of what love looks like. We kind of talked about love in the beginning. God Increase my love, my capacity to love. The mark of every believer. Now Deuteronomy 7, 6 says this, For you are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you from the people for his own possession out of all the people upon the earth. Now he had chosen Israel to be a light unto the nations, but yet at the same time we know he was reaching out to the Gentiles, and that was a purpose. They'd be like a light, a city upon a hill that they would reveal who God is. They would bring the truth of who God is. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Colossians says, so those who have been chosen by God, they're holy, they're beloved, Put on the heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and, and patience. And in faith and truth. First, you, you have God's part of salvation. God's the, always the initiator. We're simply the responder. We respond to God. Both are necessary. He initiates. We simply respond. The believer is chosen by God and set apart by God unto himself, but only after we choose and respond. And he's encouraging them because they know that they're saved. They just didn't understand. They were confused. Anyone ever get confused here? But it's only as we continue to grow do all the pieces of the puzzle get together. How many make a puzzle? Anyone make a puzzle? I just thought about it. I need to buy a puzzle. You know, you have all the colors, and, and little by little you begin putting the pieces of the puzzle, and now you begin to see the picture. 
First Thessalonians again mentioned again that uh, for God has not destined us to wrap, but obtaining salvation through again our Lord Jesus Christ. He were called, called through the gospel, the good news. Every one of us know that good news, and you know what the good news has done in your life, and and that's what we go and tell people that that testimony of what God has done, and what He wants to do in in your life. That's if we will allow Him to do that. Look again in verse 14, that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. What does that mean? Well, Romans 8, 17 says this. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also, what? Be glorified with him. We're going to share the glory of God. Because our lives will eventually, the work when it's finished, will be conformed to that image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Notice 2 Timothy 2.12. It says, if we endure, it's a choice, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now that idea, endure, is we just need to be steadfast, steadfast in his word. Then we will reign with him. Co-reign. I don't fully understand it. You don't understand. But when we get there, we will reign with him. We will know his glory somehow, whatever that is. Verse 15, notice what it says again. So then, brethren, stand firm. Hold to the traditions which are taught, whether word of mouth or letter from us. After all, all churches have stained glass. Where's our stained glass? Yeah, the second one that's foggy there where the gas is gone. You have to have a steeple. You have to have a man with a cloth. You know how the rabbis, when they taught? One day I'll do this again. They sat. And guess what? You all stood. Do we stand? Firm on the word, stand for the word of God. That's really what he's talking about in this passage. Verse 15 again, notice what it says again in your text. So then, brethren, stand firm, hold to the traditions which were taught, whether word of mouth or by letter from us. Now, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, but we are to stand firm on what Paul has taught, what the apostles are taught, what is the canon of the Scripture. Verse Corinthians 16, 13 says this, Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Usually when I say that, I say that part, act like men, I get real loud. The exhortation. Now that word men is just, it's universal. Mankind, we need to stand firm on the truth. We need to act like Christians. The world needs to see that there's something distinctively different about us. We have a Savior who has saved us from this world. He saved us to ourselves. And we know that this world is going to come to an end and we want to tell others about Jesus Christ and we love them and we care about them and that we'll lay down our lives. This was the early church. This is what was turning the world right side up. Until men denied God and went back to self. See, God's Word tells us there's many false teachers and antichrists. You know, people don't like to hear there's false teachers today. You take a passage of the Bible and you show them and and read it in the context. Well, 
Maybe they misunderstood it. Maybe they misunderstood this. Maybe they've misunderstood it. But all the things that they're saying are misrepresenting God. That's a false teacher. They're gathering people after themselves. They're developing a God that's different than what the Scripture says. Jesus condemned, please understand, the scribes, the Pharisees, nullifying the commandments of God for their own traditions. They were putting their own words above that of the God's word, or it could be for us, putting a, someone's book above God's word. That's what the Mormon church does. Or the Jehovah Witness, they put their books above the word of God. Let me give you some examples in Matthew fifteen six. He is not to honor his father and mother, and by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of tradition. Because agreed, they weren't gonna they were gonna keep this money, they're gonna donate it to the Lord, but then use it for God's purpose, but take it back and put it in their own pockets just because they didn't want to help their mom and dad. And Jesus rebuked them in Colossians two, eight and nine. Notice what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. See, the Word of God points you to Christ. The Holy Spirit points you to Christ. Our lives are to line up with Christ, not traditions of men. They will lead you astray. And 1 Corinthians 11.2 says this, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now that word tradition is basically because they didn't have iPads, iPhones, or any other kind of phone or any kind of technology. They didn't have Bibles like we have. Paul simply said letters. Those were his traditions. It was being written. It was going to be canonized. And now we have it. And there are people that put traditions above today. It's a dangerous place to be. Now, it doesn't mean there's not people in those particular places that, that are saved because I believe that God reaches in and saves them. But meantime, they're a light, and he's calling them to himself. Now, Paul's simply talking, again, not talking about the traditions of men, but he's talking about his word that he's spoken to them because the letter's being written to them. Well, again, he's saying, but stand firm. Hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether, again, word of mouth or from a letter from us. Second Timothy 1.13 says this, retain a standard of sound words which you heard from me. Sound, that word is the same word that would be used in medical. Like, again, if, if some a, a bone was broken and you're setting it, it's now going to be sound. Healthy. So he's saying it, Retain sound, healthy words which you heard from me in the faith of the love which are in Christ Jesus. So the apostle, it, it told the Thessalonians, hold to these traditions to be strong, to be powerful, to master of grasp the truth firmly. Grasp the truth firmly. This is what we fail to do. We just believe what people say. Don't believe what people say. Examine it in the Word and see if it's so, like the Bereans were. The warning was needed because the Thessalonians were, were shaken by false teaching. 
you've known and I've known people that, that are following after this and following after that. They're always looking for something new. There's nothing new in the Lord. Unless you forgot it and it's new all over again and fresh. But God's Word is timeless. It's the same. The Holy Spirit kept these oral traditions, which are really the teachings is what he's saying. We've learned and grown from that and it's canonized the Word of God. Now, notice what John 14, 26 says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all those things that I said to you. This is when the Scripture was written. This is John talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, he will bring to remembrance I've had the Lord speak, and I'm sure this has happened to you, where I've quoted a scripture, and I don't even remember reading that scripture. Has that ever happened to you? And you kind of look up, where did that come from? And, oh, that's scripture. He gives you the right word at the right time in the right situation when you're leaning upon him. Notice again in John 15, 26 and 27, when the helper comes, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the, the comforter, he says, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth. So he brings truth. Who proceeds from the Father will testify about me, and he will testify also because you have been with me and from the beginning. So it's the truth. It's the Holy Spirit will give you a check, and you'll, you're going to hear something said. And when the Holy Spirit says, something's wrong with this picture, you need to step away. Recently I met with somebody, and and I wish I would have talked to you. I, you know, and, and, and they went off the deep end in a situation. And they got burned. And they were telling me they had this check in their heart and someone else said something and someone else said something and, and they suffered the consequences of that choice. Painful consequences. When the Holy Spirit shows you you need to pull away. See, we need not to be moved by whatever convulsions are going on in the world, whatever political upheavals that are going on in the world, whatever religious apostasy. If you're a believer in Christ, you have nothing to worry about. You and I should be able to walk through this life in perfect peace. Because the Spirit in peace indwells each believer. Fact is, Matthew 24 says all these things must take place. See, unless you know the Word, you don't need to fret. You don't need to go sin sniffing. You don't need to be chasing after some weird doctrine, some false teacher. As the end draws near, it would be more and more difficult for those in Christ Jesus to live in Christ and, and even to serve him. So what do I need to do? I, I, I need to hold on. You need to hold on to the word of God. But you know it's going to be difficult to hear. There's going to be a time that for pastors that are teaching the word that they're going to want to haul us away if the Lord doesn't come soon. For me, I need to stand firm. You need to be standing firm. This is what's going to separate the wheat from the chaffs. 
You're going to find out there are people that are not believers that will just leave when times get difficult. But if you're a true believer, you will stand firm. You'll hold to the Word of God. Don't listen. Don't listen to the, the lies and the things that people get caught up on. The lies of the devil. The distractions of this world. And, and I think Dave talked about distractions, how they can be. Or the teachings of these cults. Why study the cults? Study the truth. It's the truth that will set you free. I've known people that spend time trying to understand why they believe what they do and they end up going and, and they don't even know the truth. Because that's what the enemy does. He prays. You've heard me say this. P-R-E-Y. Praise upon those who do not know the Word of God and not hanging on the Word of God. And they say, well, you really don't know it. You need our book to understand it. Paul's encouraging them because they had listened to the wrong people. Don't listen to the devil. Don't li listen to the sugar-coated promises that people give. Hold firm to the Word of God. Look with me in verse 16 now. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Now, this is a, a benediction. It's common in many of Paul's letters. It, it simply commits and prays for God's will in your heart. Praise an encouragement for them. Well, the fact is we need, need to keep on doing every good work, every good word for Jesus Christ. In fact, it should be our model. Keep on giving out the word. We need to keep living that word because the more you hear it, you're being deprogrammed from this world and being reprogrammed with the word of God, which is the truth of God that will set you free. Fact is, one day God's going to complete this body. Well, I'm not talking about this congregation, the body of Christ universally. And when that happens, this church is caught up out of here. Can you imagine what this world will be when the church goes out of here? The restraining force we talked about is, is within the church, the Holy Spirit. That means when people are around you, they're kind of convicted. They feel uncomfortable saying and doing things. Some are getting more evil and evil. But when all this is pulled out of this world, this world has become so dark, so evil, people that you think are good and moral will be doing evil things. I don't know how much TV you watch. But we don't even have TV anymore. And even watching videos on Netflix is getting harder and harder to find anything that's moral and pure. Now, if you continue to watch this rubbish, it's as bad as, is again, following false teachers. Well, the church, as you live for Jesus Christ, you're living for Him, living the Word, Bringing the word to people. This is what Peter talks about, hasting. Hasting the coming of the day of the Lord. It's not trying to purge everything. It's just bringing Christ to a lonely world, a lost world. The bottom line is we need to be going about our Father's business. It's a choice. Will you decide to live for him today or live for yourself? 
That's really the answer. Father, we know that these days are great days and they're challenging days. But our prayer is that we would be faithful, that you would make us faithful to the end. Lord, that you'd strip away those things that are hindering us from being the the men, the women that you'd have us be. God, that you would give us eyes to see this world as you see this world. That you would just empower us to reach out and touch people. Touch them, impact them with the word, whether it be a physical healing or emotional healing or physical healing. God, use these things in order to impact this lost world before you pull your church out. God, we ask for one more revival before you come. But we say, Lord, come now. But make us faithful till you do come. In Jesus' name, amen.